0: She was making her way to, way to as she was making her way to the piano. I thought, don't embarrass us. She did good. You didn't embarrass us. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She is the one that I love to tease the most because no matter what I do to her, she always forgives me, and uh, that is good. It is good, and uh, I like Hannah. I like Nathan and Leah, too. I heard a preacher say yesterday that his kids had asked him on several occasions, who is your favorite child? And he said their response was, we don't know. We haven't had them yet. And I thought, that's a pretty good response. So uh, anyway, Genesis chapter 47 tonight. Genesis chapter 47. Now you know what to say to your kids when they ask. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, we're thankful for the health that we have that allows us to be here today. We're thankful, Lord, for your word. I pray that you would use it uh, in our lives tonight to draw us closer to you, to help us in our Christian life and the testimony that we have before others. God, I pray that you'd help us uh, to be what we're supposed to be. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, you may remember, uh, Joseph stood before Pharaoh, with five of his brothers, and in that meeting, the brothers were explaining to Pharaoh what their occupation was, what their source of livelihood was. We know that it was not anything exceptional or anything unusual. They were simply uh, livestock owners. They were were people of, of the farming and the agricultural trade. And so as they were explaining their trade and as they were explaining their occupation, It was in verse number 6 that Pharaoh said to uh, Joseph that if any of the men were men of activity or capable men, he said, then make them rulers over my cattle. And so what I showed us or tried to show us last week was this, is that Pharaoh assumed certain things were possible of the brothers based upon the testimony of Joseph. And I said last week, so many times we get concerned about how people are portraying us and how people are a reflection of us. And there is a place for that. Certainly there is. But we need to remember sometimes that we are a reflection of other people in our lives. People are looking at us and they are making assumptions of the people associated with us based on how we live. And that happens more than we realize it. And so I just want to remind us That in the last week we've been a reflection of our spouse, we've been a reflection of our children, we've been a reflection of our friends, we've been a reflection of this church family, and most importantly, we have been a reflection on God. People have drawn certain conclusions about every area of our life, especially our relationship with the Lord, based on how we have conducted ourselves. And that is something that is weighty and something that deserves our attention. And so I I hope we've thought about that some in the last week, and if not, we need to, all right? This evening, we're going to move on into chapter 48, and I know that you know this. I'm sorry, we're going to stay in 47. I don't know why I told you that, but uh, I'm sure you've caught on to this, that we are bypassing a lot of things, okay, a lot of material that could be preached And I'm doing that for a reason. We we are calling this a study of the life of Joseph. So if we took it every direction we could take it, then we'd be here for months and months and months. So as we skip over things, just know that there's a reason for that, all right? Now, that in mind, I want us to think about something. Most of us like to eat, do we not? I love to eat. Like you, I've got my favorite things that I like to eat. So tonight I want to ask you for just a moment to imagine that I was going to be feeding you supper. I was going to have you over to our house, and I was going to feed you supper, and I said to you that when you come, I'm going to be feeding you liver and onions. Exactly what I thought, a mixed reaction. Some of you would be perfectly fine with a menu of liver and onions, would you not? You would say, hey, it sounds good to me, let's, let's have some, let, let, let's, let's do it, it sounds good. Others of you would be of this persuasion, no thanks. I'd rather skip a meal than to eat that mess. And I'm there with you. I could lose a lot of weight if that was on the menu on a regular basis, just I'm good, I don't need to eat that particular meal. I feel that way about grits. <sighs> That's the loudest amen I've got from Brother Bigham in the last three months. All right. There have been a few occasions where I've gone to breakfast with my father-in-law. He is the only person that I've ever been with who eats grits. And I look at that stuff, and I just think, that is absolutely disgusting. That is, that is just horrible looking. And so uh, there are some people who would say, give me the grits. And I would say, you can have mine as well, because I'm not a bit interested in it. And, and, and that's just the way it works. Now, that being said, I want us to think about another important food group. Ice cream. Ice cream. Isn't it amazing how good ice cream is? With all of the flavors and with all the ways in which it can be made and presented, it is almost impossible to find someone who does not like ice cream in one way or another. They like it with their cookies. They like it with their cake. They like it with their French fries. They like it, Susie does that, has done that, I should say. Uh, We just like ice cream because ice cream is good. So you may find someone who doesn't like ice cream, but those people are few and far between. You can find people who don't like liver and onions far faster then you'll find someone who doesn't like ice cream. You'll find someone who doesn't like grits far faster than you'll find someone who doesn't like ice cream. We, We could kind of say it like this, everyone likes ice cream. Now, we're going to shift gears a little bit because that wouldn't make much of a sermon talking about ice cream tonight. Tonight I want us to think about a word that we use around church and oftentimes around church family on somewhat of a regular basis, and that is the word blessing blessing. What does it mean when the word blessing is used? Well, there's actually a biblical definition for it. There is a a, a dictionary that you can go to, of course, and you can get a a definition for the word blessing from multiple sources, and, and, and obviously that would be a good thing to consult. But As I did some study on the word blessing, here's what I realized. More times than not, we use it incorrectly. We don't use it really the way that the word blessing was intended to be used. And and so tonight what I want to do is I want us to think about the word blessing from the perspective that we generally use it. All right? Maybe not in the most specific or technical of terms, but how we generally use it. We say something like this, or we have in our minds something like this when a blessing occurs or when we have been blessed. Something that was a help or something that was an encouragement. Something that maybe was used to strengthen us or to encourage us. And we say that in so many different ways, do we not? We say something like this, your song was a blessing. Meaning that song was a help to me. That song was an encouragement to me. That that song strengthened me. That that song lifted my spirit. So therefore we would say that song was a blessing. Somebody may say something like this, Brother Kyle, your message was a blessing. Again, in the truest terminology of the word blessing, it's not really being used correctly. but, But what they're saying is this, Brother Kyle, that message was a help to me or that message encouraged me. Whatever it may be, somebody may say, the cards you sent me, that was a blessing. The phone call was a blessing. The money you gave, it was a blessing. Those things that were done, those acts of kindness, those acts of generosity, or or however it is, that was a help to me, it was an encouragement to me, it was some kindness shown to me, it strengthened me, it supported me. That's what we generally mean when we use the word blessing. Taking that into consideration, I want us to consider now the family of Joseph prior to Joseph revealing his identity to them. Here's what we know of the family of Joseph prior to his revealing that they were living in the land of Canaan, and they, like everyone else, was affected by the famine in the land. We know that on two different occasions they had come to Egypt for the purpose of buying corn because obviously they had run out and they were in need of the corn. They were in need of the food and the products that they were able to get in Egypt. And so we understand that while they may not have been absolutely desperate or or destitute in terminology or or, or in, in ideas that we may think about, they were certainly a family in need. So as they've come to Egypt and as they have bought the corn and gone back and done so a second time, we understand that this was a family who was in need like every other family in Egypt and like every other family in the surrounding areas. But now Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers. He has had the family move there to the land of Egypt. We know last week that they were given some of the best land there in the land of Goshen. But here's what we also know from the story, if we remember some of the details, that when Joseph's family moves to Egypt, there is still five years of famine awaiting them. And so even though they were given the best land of Goshen, It didn't mean that they were about to start planting crops and all of a sudden they would begin having bumper crops where food came in by the multitude and and they were able to, to sustain themselves. They, like everyone else, was still in a state or a position of need. So as all this happens, I want us to look this evening in verse number 11. It says in verse number 11, And Joseph placed his father and his brethren... And gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Notice what it says in verse number 12. It says, And Joseph nourished his father and his brethren, and all his father's household with bread, according to their families. Here is what it says in verse number 11, that Joseph nourished his father and his brethren. What does it mean whenever it says that Joseph nourished his father and his brethren? It means this, that Joseph began feeding or taking care of or providing for the family. For the people in Joseph's family, there would no longer be trips to Egypt to buy the corn. They may have to come into town and pick it up, but there would no longer be this road trip or this journey, so to speak, to come to the land of Egypt in hopes of buying corn. Whenever they received their corn, they would no longer have to stand in line with everyone else. Whenever they received their corn, they would not have to wonder in the back of their mind if they would get enough to provide for the family, anything of that nature. No, whenever they moved to Egypt and Joseph began to take care of them. Here is what happened. All of their needs and all of their concerns and all of their wants, they were eliminated. They were removed because Joseph began taking care of his father and his brethren. Now, from the perspective that we use the word blessing, I want to ask you something. Do you think Joseph was a blessing to his family. Well, I would suspect he was. I think if we could say to the brothers, has Joseph been a blessing to you and to your families, I think they would say, without a question, without a doubt, he has been a blessing to us. He has been a help to us. He has been an encourager to us. He has been a source of strength to us. You you know, his kindness, everything that he's done for us, That has just been a blessing. If we could go to Jacob and say, Jacob, has your son been a blessing to you? I I think Jacob would say, Oh, in more ways than you know, it's been so nice being here close to our son. It's been so nice to be here, and Joseph's taking such good care of us. We've got the the good land of Goshen to to dwell in, but, but just knowing that all of our needs will be met, oh, certainly it has been a blessing, and Joseph has been a blessing in our lives. So what has Joseph been? He's been a blessing to his family. Now think about this for just a moment. It kind of seems like no matter who you are in this world, family has a way of keeping you grounded. Would you agree? Somebody may be someone out in the world, but to family, you know what you are? You're just family. Now, I'm not saying the brothers didn't walk a little lightly with their past with Joseph, and understandably so if they did, but at the same time, this is just family. So we might say it like this. In many ways, they were equals. We know by way of position, we know by way of rank that they were not equal. We understand that. But again, in the realm of relationship, there's something about family that just makes you realize, I'm not any different than you are, I'm not any more special than you are, we're equal. But he was a blessing to them. Well, in verse 13, the story continues. In verse 13, it says, and there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up how much of the money? All the money that was found in the land of Egypt. I would suspect that was a lot. I don't know how much a lot of money would have been, or or all the money would have been, but all the money, I'm guessing, would have been a lot of money. And it says that he gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. Who bought? The the people of Egypt and the people of the surrounding areas. And notice what it says in verse number 14. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Joseph did not bring the money into his house Joseph was not the one benefiting from this. Joseph was not the one getting rich from this. Who was the one benefiting from this? It was Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh who would receive in his house, in his kingdom, all the money. As the text continues, you see how the people, once they ran out of money, they began to trade their livestock for the food, for the bread, for the corn. Whenever the livestock ran out, they began to give them their land, and they began to give them their homes. Everything these people had, they surrendered to Joseph so that they could have their needs met, and Pharaoh was the beneficiary of everything that came in. So let me ask you this, if we could take a couple of moments and visit with Pharaoh and ask him this question, has Joseph been a blessing around here? What do you think Pharaoh may say? I think Pharaoh may say something like this, oh man, check out our balance sheet. Let me show you how much money we have. I'll tell you, financially, he's been a blessing. And you see all that cattle out there? That, that wasn't ours before all this kicked in. And, and I'm telling you, Joseph's plan and how it's all worked out, I'm telling you, the kingdom has grown and the kingdom has just expanded in, in ways that we would have never thought possible. I'm telling you, has Joseph been a blessing? Man, Joseph has been a blessing in incredible, incredible ways. Well, who is Pharaoh? Pharaoh? Well, Pharaoh's king. Pharaoh's top dog. Joseph is second in command, and Joseph is certainly a, a a person of authority, but he's not ultimate authority. So who is Joseph now being a blessing to? Well, he's now being a blessing to someone above him. Does make sense? His actions, the way he has conducted himself, the the, the way he has handled all of this with the people of Egypt, it's benefited Pharaoh. And it's been a blessing to him. And so here's Joseph, and he's been a blessing to his family. I think the Scripture would bear that out because of the fact that he nourished them and and gave them what they needed, again, in verse number 12. and, And then as you read through the Scripture... I mean, Pharaoh certainly benefited from the presence of of Joseph in his life. So that leaves one other group of people the Egyptians. Now, think about this for just a moment. Fourteen years prior to this, the Egyptians were just living everyday life. The king has a dream. And one man says, you better get ready for a famine that's coming in seven years. One man changed policy for an entire nation based upon another man's dream. You and I would have a hard time with that, would we not? Can you imagine if our president, any president, stood before us one evening on national TV and said, I had a dream last night, and based upon this dream, I had this former prisoner interpret it for me. And based upon this former prisoner's interpretation of the dream, we're going to change national policy as it relates to something as near and dear to your heart as your money. I think there'd be a public outcry, would there not? So here the people of Egypt are, 14 years prior They're having their entire world shaken from the financial standpoint based upon the dream that the king had that was interpreted by a prisoner who had been living in a dungeon. Now they're being taxed and now they're giving their corn to the kingdom. And now that the famine has actually come, as the former prisoner said was going to happen, what do they have to do? They've got to buy back the food that they gave to the kingdom. how fair is that that's ours we paid into the system don't tell me that that's not ours i mean does this sound like rhetoric that could be happening in today's world we've paid into the system we've paid our dues we've paid everything you've told us to do and now because we're hurting now because we're struggling you're charging us that's not right. I mean, you talk about crooked. You talk about wrong. You you talk about something that is just absolutely twisted that is not right whatsoever. Can you imagine the anger and the outcry in the land of Egypt? yeah. Yeah, you would think. But in verse number 23, as the famine has come to an end, notice what it says. Then Joseph said unto the people, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. As if they didn't know that. I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you. I'm going to give you some seed and ye shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part. What is that? That's 20%. You're going to give 20% unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be yours for seed of the field, and for your food, and for them of your household, and for food for your little ones. Now someone might be thinking, well, finally we're getting some of this back after we paid in all these years. You might suspect a little bit of an attitude, but notice in verse number 25 what the people say. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Joseph, you saved our lives. We want to find grace in your sight. And we will be Pharaoh's servants. That doesn't sound like a lot of anger to me. That doesn't sound like a lot of animosity. That doesn't sound like a lot of rioting and picketing and and, and looting and, and people going crazy and having to call out the military to kind of squelch everything. That's not what it sounds like, does it? It sounds almost like these people are grateful for the wisdom and the foresight that Joseph had that allowed them to be preserved in the years of famine. It's almost as though these people are thankful for everything that Joseph had done for them in the taxation of their crops and in the, and in the making them buy it and giving them, the, giving their land to them for everything that they got in return. It sounds like even in spite of all that, they're still thankful for what Joseph did. So it kind of begs this question, if you could go back to the land of Egypt and begin talking to people and say something like this. Isn't that old Joseph a jerk? It seems like what you would find more often than not is something like this. Oh, no, 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 no. Joseph hadn't been a jerk. Had it not been for Joseph, we would have starved. Had it not been for Joseph, things would have been much tougher than what they really were. Had it not been for Joseph, I don't know what we would have done. Had Joseph not been willing to work with us, had Joseph not been willing to give us a fair deal for our cattle or for our land or for our homes, I don't know what we would have done. And so I think here's what many people would have said. Joseph has been a blessing to us. Joseph's actions were a blessing to us. Now think about this. Whether this is politically correct or not, whether we like to think about this or not, every society has a social order. You have the haves and the have-nots. You have the uppers, you have the lowers, and everything in between. The people of Egypt in this social order of things... In comparison to Joseph, what were they? They were the have-nots. They were the have-not-nothings. We don't have money. We don't have cattle. We don't have land. We don't have homes. We don't have anything except the seeds you're giving us to begin planting so that we can begin producing crops, so that we can begin paying taxes of 20% back to you. And yet Joseph was a blessing. Because again, their attitude was, Thou hast saved our lives, let us find grace in the sight of my Lord. Now think about it. Think about it. His family, he was a blessing to them, and they were his equals. To the king, Joseph was a blessing to him, and he was his superior. But to all of these people who were beneath him, what was Joseph? He was a blessing. Kind of seems like this. Joseph didn't care who it was. He wanted to be a blessing. I don't care if you're my equal. I don't care if you're above me. I don't care if you're beneath me. I want to be a blessing. Does that mean that everyone in the land of Egypt and everyone in the surrounding areas of the land of Egypt, does that mean everyone loved Joseph? Probably not because you're dealing with people. But you know what I can promise you? It was harder to find someone who didn't appreciate Joseph than the ones who did appreciate him. There were far more people who realized this is a blessing to have Joseph in charge of us as opposed to the small number of people who would have wanted to gripe and complain that Joseph had stolen everything and taken everything from them. For lack of better words, you know what Joseph was? He was ice cream. Generally speaking, everyone liked Joseph because Joseph had been a blessing in their lives. And that wasn't on accident. You're not just accidentally a blessing. You strive to be a blessing. It is something that you purpose to be. It is something that you want to be. It is something that you look for ways in which to be a blessing, to be a help, to be a a source of encouragement, to be that source of strength, to show that act of kindness. Joseph was a blessing to everyone he could be intentionally on purpose because that's who Joseph was. Now, this evening, for just a moment, think about this. In our world, we have a social order in place as well. Nothing has changed in the last thousands of years. What does that mean? It means this. Every one of us are somewhere in that scale. I think I can say with some degree of certainty I'm not at the top. Susie laughs. She knows that there's at least one person above me that might be her. Anyways, I know, I know that I know that I know I'm not at the top. And In the social order of things, I know this, I'm not at the bottom. I'm somewhere in between with a lot of people who are equal with me. I'm not better than them. I'm not worse than them. I'm just equal with them. To the people who I am equal with, what should I have a desire to be in their life? I should have a desire to be a blessing. I should have a desire that when my life comes into contact with their life and I leave their life and I'm not a part of their life anymore, I'm not directly associated with them anymore, it ought to be that no matter who the person is, my equal, a fellow preacher, a church member, someone here in the community that, that, that's just, you know, an equal, whatever it may be, if, if I come into contact with their life, it should be my desire To be a blessing so that whenever I am no longer in their life, they could say, you know what? Knowing Kyle was a blessing. Do you know how I'll be a blessing to people who I'm equal with? When it becomes a desire of mine to be an equal. This makes sense? Are there people in this community, are there people in this world who are above me? Absolutely there are. And what should I strive to be in their life? I should strive to be a blessing in their life. Ah, You're just brown-nosing, you're just trying to kiss up, you're just trying to gain favor with them. No, I'm trying to be a blessing. I know people question motives these days, and I know people assume the worst, and, and I know that people think, about well, your, that your motives aren't right, and I understand the criticisms because it is done for the wrong reason so many times. But as a Christian, it should be that I realize, you know what, I'm not at this guy's level, I'm not at this family's level, but I can still strive to be a blessing to them so that whenever I'm no longer a part of their lives, or even if I am still a part of their life, they could say to someone they know, you know what, Kyle is a blessing. How could he be a blessing? to you. Uh, It's just the the way that he acts, the way that he, he handles himself, the way that he conducts himself. But again, if I'm going to be a blessing to someone who is above me, it must be done intentionally. And there's nothing wrong with me or you trying to be a blessing to someone who is above us. But there are a lot of people out there You shouldn't say it that way. I don't know how else to say it. There are people out there who are beneath us. In the social order of things, they're beneath us. And what should I be willing to try to be to them? A blessing. Maybe their family isn't as in order. As my family. Maybe they're not as clean as my family. Maybe they don't do some of the same things that my family does, you know, because I am above them. I still need to be a blessing. Now, you know this as well as I know this. It's not as difficult, and I know we've touched on this principle in messages past. It's not as difficult to be a blessing to people who are equal to us. It's not as difficult to try to be a blessing to someone who is above us. But it can sure be a challenge sometimes to our spirit and to our attitude and to our pride to try to be a blessing to someone who we think is beneath us. And it ought to be that when someone who is of a lower social status than us comes into contact with us and we have any interaction with them at all, it ought to be that they could say of us, whether they would use these exact words or not, they ought to be able to say of us, man, it's a blessing getting to know Kyle. It's a blessing getting to be around him. It's a blessing getting to be around you, church family. It ought to be that they would say of us, even though they are beneath us, It is a blessing because they treat me well. They treat me like we're equal. They they treat me fairly. They treat me the way that I would want to be treated. It ought to be that we are a blessing to them as well as anyone else in our lives. But one last time, guess what? That will not happen on accident. You have to be and I have to be willing to humble ourselves. You and I have to be willing to, to recognize, okay, they may be beneath us in the social order of things, but that's just a person and I'm just a person, and regardless of who they are and where they come from, we're still equal even though society says we're not. I probably shared this quote with you, but I, I, I heard it, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Someone who had gained wealth here in America and he was with his father and his father grew up very poor. And the father said to the son, remember son, we all buy bread from the same shelf. doesn't matter if they're richer than us. It doesn't matter if they're equal with us. It doesn't matter if they're poorer than us. Truth be told, we're really all alike and it should be our desire to be a blessing. No matter who it is they should say, he's a blessing, she's a blessing, they are a blessing, and it ought to be hard, it ought to be difficult to find people who have a differing opinion of that. It ought to be that it is easier to find people who think we are a blessing than to find the people who think we are not a blessing. So it has to be done intentionally. Let me ask you, how often do you intentionally strive to be a blessing to someone else? Whether it be the neighbor, whether it be the coworker, whether it be the family member, whether it be the church member, whether it be the complete stranger, how often do you intentionally strive to be a blessing? Because if you're not intentionally seeking out the opportunities, They will pass you by on a daily basis. We don't have to be rich. We don't have to be affluent. We don't have to have much to be a blessing. We can still be a blessing by looking for the ways and the means to be a blessing, but we have to be willing to do it. Be willing to search out those opportunities to be a blessing. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I do pray that you would just remind us and refresh us on this simple truth. I know that nothing that's been said tonight has really been deep or profound. It's not been anything that we don't know, but yet we may need the reminder. Some this evening may may need that just brought to their attention one more time. God, for those in this church who do seek those opportunities, I pray that you'd bless them. And, God, that you'd help this church family as individuals and corporately to be a blessing to those we come into contact with. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren